Before Arnie, his daughter choked to death in Christine. It's that car. I swear it's the car. That's Christine coming. Oh, Jerry. It's funny, you know, because I, I heard you was totally. Well, after I cleaned up the broken glass, it wasn't so bad. So what if you, you fix it up, you know, and he just comes back and does it again? He won't do it again. dedicated to discussing uh, movies relegated to a late-night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is Pat Mitchell. Pat, we're having some problems. Like I I, I told you before, (laughs) we had this last problem. It's, It's almost as if this is a cursed episode. There's a cursed object that is preventing us from committing this to tape so anyways i i don't know what's going on i don't know what malevolent spirit exists in one of our devices like i said oh yeah i forgot to mention when i was talking to you about this before i also almost choked on my cereal as i was inhaling it to get prepared for this much like one of the uh, characters in tonight's movie that we're dis- discussing, who yeah. almost choked on a burger. So, um, for those listening, uh, <laughs> this is a repeated attempt to try to record this episode. For whatever reason, <laughs> we're having a real, a real hard time at it. I could not find this movie, goddamn anywhere, and mm-hmm. I've torrented it and got torrents with video and no audio. I got torrents that just 
video files that didn't fucking work. It's not on any streaming platform. It's just fucking nightmare. I don't, I don't know why I could not find John Carpenter's 1983 Christine, but I finally did found a, found a workable torrent. I thought I was going to have to go out and buy it. Thankfully I did not have to get a DVD copy or whatever for like 99 cents, but yeah, it's been a hard road to get to this episode. And I, it's uh it's a cursed, but just like the movie itself. Like, yeah, again, like it just, this, this, this episode's just rolling right off of the assembly line, causing all kinds of fucking problems. Much like, much like the, uh, yeah, the, the eponymous character of tonight's today's movie. Um, yeah, I, like I was telling you, I saw it, uh, on, I thought it was Amazon. Uh, I have a VHS copy of my beloved VHS copy of it as, as maybe I've mentioned before, when we've discussed these movies, I try to always have a physical copy of at least the movie that I pick. I try to have at least a VHS copy. Some of them I, I, I can't quite get my hands on or don't have in the, in the vault. But this is one. This is this is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that may astound a lot of people, considering uh, the history of this movie and and whatnot. But it is one of my favorite movies of all time. And anyway, so like I said, I have a VHS copy of it, but my VHS uh, organizational uh, situation is 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 in dire straits here in my home and has been for a while. So I just chose to find it on, on ye old internet. And yeah, I, I, uh, I thought it was on Amazon prime. So I don't know. Amazon, Amazon prime does have it, but you have to sign up for a free trial of stars. And I've already exhausted my free trial of stars, probably for another movie on this podcast. And other than that, you have to, you still have to pay for it. So maybe you did a free trial, buddy, if you might want to cancel that. Oh, shit. You might be right. Well, anyways, here we are nonetheless. We have so far overcome all of these obstacles to talk about it. Oh, Lord. uh, If we both don't get struck by lightning after this, I do have a bunch of lawn work to attend to after this. I'm going to have like a weird fucking mower accident or something. Yeah. Digits lopped off. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that. So do I. So, geez, now I'm spooked. We're fucked. It's going to be maximum overdrive. Like, I'm going to get run over by my lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> or there's, there's that really bad M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Happening, where a guy got run over by a lawnmower, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, the lawnmower is... Yeah. The, uh, so, funny you mention... Maximum funny overdrive. Funny you maximum overdrive, because that also is related to... The, the movie tonight. This was a Stephen King affair um, that was adapted to a movie and it also happens to deal with inanimate objects coming to life or becoming possessed. Uh, I'll discuss this more when we get into the heart of the movie, but I feel like this movie gets unfairly compared to Maximum Overdrive to some people I know and I have to completely dispel that comparison and say these are completely different movies no Stephen King doesn't just write about possessed cars I know like that's what critics like to lambast him as being a a hack that just likes to write about um, cursed haunted cars but that's not the case he does Um, love to do it 
He does it a lot, but yeah, obviously but, it's a small selection of his. Right. So anyways, so we've talked a little bit about it, obviously, but I want to know a little bit more. Uh, what are your, what were your initial thoughts about this movie? When did you first see it? What, how do you feel about Christine? Ye old Christine. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen it a handful of times. Um, and honestly, up to the, this viewing, I had a hard time remembering exactly how I felt about it. And to be honest, I'm, I'm shocked. This is one of your favorite movies. I, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get why it, yes. why it would be. Um, and upon this viewing, I realized why I kind of just don't remember much about the movie. Cause I don't, I just, I don't care about this movie. I don't, I just, I don't hate it and I didn't love it. And it's got, it's, it's John, John Carpenter um, has his fingerprints on it. I mean, you could tell it's, it's a John Carpenter directed movie, but the story in it of itself, just kind of whatever. I, I think I feel the way that you feel about like big dig animal run amok movies or, or whatever. It's just like, doesn't get the blood flowing. And I just, I guess I don't, I just don't care about uh, supernatural haunted inanimate object movies. <laughs> I, I have mixed re- I have a mixed reaction to having watched this again. Um, like I said, I, I didn't hate it or necessarily care for it. It just kind of I watched it and that, that just went one one ear out the other. Amazing. I love it. Here we go. Here's another movie that I picked that I have some sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of connection with a bond with you're just like whatever <laughs> so this is going to be perfect it's a great episode i like episodes like this yeah um, so it should be it, it should call for a an interesting episode at the very least well i tell you what man you are not the only one that is in that category that is completely just um bemused if anything as to why i like this movie my partner is one of them as well my partner though unfairly she had never really even watched this movie. She's never read the book that unfairly just wanted to like hate this movie and lump it into again, that category of Stephen King hack affairs that, Oh, a haunted car. Really? You know? And, and that's, this movie gets that a lot. And I think it's kind of unfair. I, I feel like to me, someone who loves this movie, people miss the point when they just view it as being like, it's a haunted car. I think it's a, it's so much more. So that being said, my thoughts up the top, as I've said, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I talked about movies that there was a time in my life where I lived by myself many years ago and I had a handful of like uh, prized VHS tapes that I had bought you know, after I'd gotten rid of like all my VHS the first time, bought some more again. Um, and Christine was one of those movies that I would like watch over and over and over. I would fall asleep to it. It's, it's like a comfort movie to me. So, uh, I saw this movie probably when I was like a kid, because one thing for sure that always stuck in my mind, it actually like would like kind of like creep me out as a kid was, 
there's a part of the movie towards the end where Arnie's in Christine and it's lit up from the inside to give him this like kind of ghoulish appearance. He looks like he's a ghost essentially. And for some reason that always freaked me out when I was a kid. Like I always like that, that image like seared into my brain. And from then on, like I always like had some sort of connection with this movie. So, um, so that's really kind of my initial thoughts. Uh, I basically saw the movie, like I would say like not too long after it came out in the early eighties. So it would have been like the mid eighties or whatever. There's no accounting for <laughs> nostalgia or where someone's at in their life when they see a movie. There's just no accounting for that. So I totally get that. Um, that makes sense. That's that's like pretty much how I f- feel about Waterworld. You know, like you've right. watched Waterworld in the year of our Lord fucking 2019 or whatever. I saw it in 1995. Mm-hmm. So those are drastically... Right different viewing comparisons. So that that's how things get that that's how things get, you know, warped and and critiqued and it's all through the lens of how you first viewed it and where you were at. So that makes sense. Yeah, like Short Circuit 2 was one of my favorite movies when I was, I was a kid. I saw it in the theater. If I watched it now, would I think that that movie was fucking rad? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it says although, says a lot. Although I do like Gold Johnny Five. If you've ever seen <laughs> Short Circuit Two, I've not seen Short Circuit Two. I don't know what Gold Johnny Five is, but I love <laughs> <laughs> just naming something Gold Johnny Five sounds fucking hilarious. <laughs> you've never seen Short Circuit Two? No. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, dude, it's worth it for the scene with the. Uh, the Vato gang that have their, they have their like theme song. They're like rhyme that, that goes, Los Locos kick your ass. Los Locos kick your face. Los Locos kick your balls into outer space. You're not doing a good job of selling this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Gold Johnny five. Los Locos. No. Gold Johnny five sounds like a, a (laughs) fucking, I don't even know. George Thorogood. <laughs> Sounds like a George Thorogood song, which is a perfect. Another, see, I'm I took my Segway crown back. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to keep it on track here. Okay, my favorite so, George Thor- Thorogood songs: "Bad to the Bone," "I Drink Alone," and "Gold Johnny Five. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask before we get any further if there is any inanimate object or. Um, device or paraphernalia out there pat that you would be the most stoked on getting possessed by a malevolent spirit besides a house what would you choose would you choose a basketball like Like an evil basketball stoked how like why am i excited about it (laughs) (laughs) stoked or terrified like what would be the most terrifying inanimate object that had to be even terrifying just like you'd be like, wow, that'd be pretty rad if that was just possessed, like right off the assembly line, right oh, out of the manufacturer. Like a fucking, uh, <laughs> like, like the the brave little toaster, only like an evil version of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If like you're that. fucking, you could have a scene where your hand is in it, and you're like, ah, fuck, fuck. You're like, you're like trying <laughs> to shake it off. 
Yeah, that'd be tight. Demon toaster. Demon toaster. Um, they could do a whole series of you know. There's like you ever heard of that movie Evil Bong? No. <laughs> there's like nine Evil Bong movies. Oh my god! Wow, it's like the Land Before Time of Evil of, of stoner horror movies. Yeah, and they're all on, on streaming. So if you ever if you want to kill some time. Check out Evil Bong. Did I get it right by saying it sounds like a stoner horror movie? Probably. I would imagine. Well, have you seen I, them? I, that, <laughs> no, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving a recommendation on shit you haven't even seen? <laughs> I want you to watch it. Well, the fourth I one is called been... Evil Bong 420, so that's fun. Amazing, right? That's You're the fourth one. Now. I'm in. <laughs> Evil Bong 7, Gold Johnny 5. No, Evil Bong 5, Gold Johnny 5. There it is. Wrapped it back around like a pro. Of course, Tommy Chong is in it. Okay, we're uh, way yeah, of off course. way off base here. Wow, like really? You're that desperate, man. Um, okay, well, the synopsis of tonight's movie. And again, I feel like the synopsis is not enough. So it's not sufficient, but whatever. Um, but... Basically, this teenage nerd becomes obsessed with this car immediately, sees it on the way back from uh, driving with his buddy from first day of school. He's had a rough first day of school, sees this pile of shit car with a for sale sign in somebody's yard, and he falls in love with it instantly. And he buys the car and slowly but surely as he as he as he puts the car uh, back together, as he rebuilds it from basically from scratch, because the car is just has irreparable damage in many ways. Um, he also changes with the car um, and becomes a whole different person. And essentially uh, throughout the movie, the people that wronged him when he was a nerd, they kind of get picked off one by one through different means so so yes the car uh, this movie is about a haunted car but it is also about a teenage outcast it's also a love story it's so much more than just being about a haunted car but anyways <laughs> i digress <laughs> uh the budget for this movie was uh almost 10 million dollars and it ended up grossing double that so it wasn't a flop Made its money back, did well at the box office monetarily, um, but the critical reception was so-so. Um, this, in many ways, it was both not only panned not only as a John Carpenter affair, but it was panned as a Stephen King book. So, both folks from the literary from the literary camp and from the uh, film and cinema camp both were kind of lukewarm on this movie. It's definitely one of those movies, hence why we do this again, in case those of you don't know, that has become um, more of a cult movie over time. It's 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 garnered much more of a of a of a following over time. But you know, at first it was it wasn't exactly seen as uh as being um that great of a movie 
So I don't have any immediate quotes right here because apparently I fucked up my notes. But anyways. <laughs> well, I did see uh, that uh, uh, old Rajiv gave it like three out of four stars and loved it. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I just I just looked at my notes and realized I didn't put anything down. Because, again, it's a cursed episode. Oh, But, yeah, so it truly Roger is. Ebert liked it. He so, loved it. He's, I mean, he said, like, by said something to the effect of, like, by the end of it, you're just, like, you're, like, blown away at how fun it was or something to the effect of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I will agree with him. Once in a while, we agree with Roger Ebert. I think it's a fun movie. Um, so, I don't know. I guess that being said, why don't we just go ahead and get into talking about it, unless you have anything else. We've kind of like, we this uh, our preamble intro here has kind of uh, went astray a bit. So I figure we might as well just dig right into it. Sure. Let's get back on track. Thank you, Brent. Like, well, we got it. We gotta fix the the suspension and the and the uh, alignment. Yeah, of this our episode. our alignment is fucking wonky. <laughs> we're all we're all over the road. We're all over the road. We gotta get it in the shop, fix it. We're gonna pull it into Darnell's, and here we go with the good, bad, and the questionable. with the good now much to your chagrin pat (laughs) i have a lot of good no great (laughs) (laughs) but i will try and uh amend it as best as i can okay great um so i'm not rambling too much and i want to you know that's the thing that's why i like these particular episodes where we are somewhat at odds because you know i want to hear why you didn't like it i want to i want to because as evidenced by the the hardware episode, a movie that I also really like a lot, but not as much as I like Christine, it definitely does not have the personal connection to me as, as Christine does. You know, after we talked about it, I was like, I, I came away from it agreeing with you. And, uh, and, I, and I, I see where you as someone who's not into that movie, um, you know, felt that it wasn't your bag. So maybe... Maybe I'll get a little bit of a little bit of I'll be able to step away from this this love affair that I have with I, Christine. I doubt I could I could pry you away from your beloved, but I'll try my <laughs> it's best. Almost, yeah, it's ahead. almost as if I was going to say it's almost as if I'm possessed to love this movie. Yes, I'm the Dennis of the podcast, and you're Arnie. Exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There was that. What were you about to say? Um, I, I don't even know. <laughs> Who knows? I apologize. Ooh, I'm always fucking saying something. You're always fucking, man. Always. Oh, I just love to fuck. I'm always fucking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with the goods, right off the top, I'll tell you what, man, I love Keith Gordon in this movie. Keith Gordon, for those of you that don't know, maybe you don't know this, Pat, Keith Gordon 
up to this point, he was the, 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 the whole cast in general were fairly unknown. That was like the intent because there was a lot of people that were attended to play the roles of this movie that were bigger named actors and actresses. But they decided to eschew any of that and they wanted to have a fairly unknown cast. They wanted some up upstarts. And really, other than some of the older characters that we'll get into, no one was known. They were all very young actors and actresses. Keith Gordon being one of them. I love Keith Gordon. Keith Gordon, as far as his acting, actual on-screen resume, is fairly short. He doesn't have a lot, but he basically got his start. Uh, he was a uh, almost a protege of Brian De Palma, so he was in a couple Brian De Palma films before this. Um, so that's where Keith Gordon comes from, and I've always loved. Oh, yeah, Keith he's Gordon. in Dress to Kill. He's in Dress to Kill. <laughs> he's the he's all, is he the son? And, he's uh, the son. That's yeah. fucking right. Oh my god! I was when you said Brian De Palma, I racked my brain, and uh, I was like, "It's not sisters." <laughs> what the fuck could it no. be? Yeah, that's wild. Okay. He was also in home movies. I don't know if you've seen that. I've never seen so, home movies. Um, but aside from those roles and a few others that he had at, subsequently after this, basically Keith Gordon turned his attention to being behind the camera. He's actually uh, since been more involved in a directorial and writer's uh, occupation. Same with um, John Stockwell, who plays Dennis. Both of them decided to be- become more uh, directors than uh, continuing as actors. Which is but, interesting uh, because I feel like, would you say, that who plays Dennis? John Stockwell? John Stockwell. He had like a, I don't know, he he had like some charisma that I feel like could have been tapped into uh, early on. I don't know. I feel like he could have made a career in acting. Keith Gordon doesn't, yeah. that doesn't surprise me, but John Stockwell was like very handsome and charismatic in this. Right. Well, and that's, a, I was just going to reiterate, I feel like all the actors and actresses, I I think do an amazing job in this, in this movie. I think, you know, they really carry the movie in a lot of ways, but like Keith Gordon's as Arnie is like one of my favorite him and, and another person that I'll get to here in a second. But I like everybody in this. There's nobody that like bums me out playing these roles. I think they all do a really good job. So, well, that was on my good too, was, um, specifically in the role of Arnie, like, uh, Keith Gordon has this great portrayal and, and there's a, there's just like a trajectory of that character who goes basically from like insufferable nerd to like insufferable asshole with like (laughs) all the shades of gray in between. But he does a really good job of being like truly like haunted and possessed and it's not like zero to 60. It's just like a gradual change that happens to that character. That's really good. That, and that it, he specifically Keith Gordon pulls off like really well. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, there's definitely a gradient to it. And, you know, we talked about this not too long ago because I know you are a big Stephen King fan and I've read a number of his books and I've read, a handful of them. I'm definitely not as well versed, but Christine's one of them that I have read. So 
you know, I will kind of volley back and forth between maybe comparing and contrasting uh, this to the book. But that's basically how the book is, where Arnie kind of, it's a gradient where Arnie becomes more and more possessed over time um, to become like more of like the evil Arnie that he ends up becoming. Um, uh, the thing is, there's a lot of pretty dr- drastic differences between the book and the movie. There's a whole subplot and there's whole characters that are completely removed from the movie that are in the book that make the story um, what it is. So, and there was just some screenwriting, uh, there was some screenwriting decisions that were, you know, felt they needed to be uh, executed in order to, to make the, uh, the, the book a little bit more formatted to be a movie that I personally didn't understand why it happened, but anyways, and it kind of make, may, maybe makes the, the movie not make as much sense to some people. But I actually the, thought the entire time, the entire time, that yeah. there, has, there is a major disconnect with this movie and the book that I've never even read that is, ha- <laughs> that is happening because this movie makes little to absolute no sense. And there's things that are need to be hashed out and could be hashed out in a timely manner that just never were for some reason. And I read that John Carpenter did not like the source material. He like, didn't like Christine. I'm not even sure why this, why he was helmed to do this, but yeah. Somewhere in the, the adapting the book to a screenplay, they omitted seemingly very important information <laughs> that could have made this great. I, I, it's it sucks that that it bums me out because I I know King as a writer to be detailed and and uh, available to answer any prying questions that would make a story kind of you know avoid avoid it from he wants to make it somewhat bulletproof so it was a bummer to see this interpretation of of again i have not read the book but i could i could see how there was things omitted <laughs> you yeah. can tell definitely tell yeah and i'm sure we'll talk more about that in the yeah. question questionable um but yeah so anyways cast as a whole great um more specifically i also i love Robert's Blossom as George LeBay. Robert's Blossom is also like one of my favorite character actors. Um, not so much for this movie. I do love him playing George LeBay in this, but there's other movies where he takes on a more leading role, more cult movies where he just is like fantastic, but he's great in this movie as well as playing the creepy fucking uh, guy that sells the car to Arnie. <laughs> Like, yeah, he. I only know him as the like the. Is it? Is he not the same? Is he not the garbage guy from Home Alone or whatever? Like the old fucking creepy garbage man. Yeah, I think he's in that as well. He's also in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, well, uh, every horror movie has like the rambling, incoherent <laughs> old man. So he's like he's the guy from uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, he pretty much is. Yeah, so he's great in this. Um, But yeah, so there's him as well. But like a big person that I wanted to talk about in this movie, acting-wise, that I feel his dialogue is so crucial 
to making this movie enjoyable and carrying this movie is Robert Prosky as Darnell. Basically yeah. any quotes I have from this movie, if I, if I had to pick any of them, they're all Darnell quotes. I fucking love Darnell in this. He's doing a lot with a little, like we, like we always say. Yeah. It's so good. And especially that introduction scene where they meet Darnell when Arnie buys a car and he drives it to Darnell's shop. And it's just like, my man is on fire from the get go. Just like one after the other, just (laughs) with the one liners and the quips to just put Arnie and Dennis in their place right away. He, his death was the least satisfying. I would say like, it just seemed I, – I loved what he was doing. Like, he, again, a, a very uh, – he was doing a lot with very little. And then his death just like – he needed to have a, a gnarlier death, I feel like. Well, again, in the book, he does. See? And you're right. Here we go. They really <laughs> they really shortchanged Darnell in this movie with that death. And I don't know why they fucking chose to take him out like that. But, Yeah. It's it's not cool. It's weird. I mean, we'll talk more about that, obviously. But yeah, Darnell fucking rules. I love Darnell. Um, and <laughs> he, uh, the movie. If it, the thing was like um, William Prosky, actually, he wanted the Darnell character to have a little more meat in the movie because he was was not given as many lines apparently originally, and he, you know, he requested that he get a little bit more screen time and a little bit more of a robust character development than he had. And so thankfully they afforded him that. So he was able to have all those great, uh, one liners in the, in the script. So, um, he's definitely the type of guy that, that like commands more of a, more of a role. Like he came in with like one or two lines and they're like, well, we got to have more of this guy. (laughs) Yeah. It's, and he's in exactly everything. It. Like he's just in every fucking. He's one of those people that just has been in everything forever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he's great. Um, now I don't know how you feel about this. You, I, you may be at odds with me about this um, in terms of goods or likes of this movie, but um, I've always really, really had like kind of a crush on Alexandra Paul as Lee. I think she's like such a fucking babe. <laughs> And she did she go on to be, do Baywatch? I don't know. I feel I honestly like I don't know. I she looks like she would be a Baywatch person though, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, I yeah. feel like I looked her up and and saw her in a in the Baywatch like uh, outfit and was like, holy shit! I didn't even know if she like just grew up to be in Baywatch, but um, yeah, she's striking and. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it, and commands a lot of the screen with with physicality and looks alone. She has like right. no lines. She's just like just gorgeous. Yeah, right. Yeah, so like perfectly cast right there as well. Again, she wasn't Baywatch. Cast, <laughs> she wasn't Baywatch. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. She totally has the Baywatch look to her. I mean, she's just like one of those. It's like just sculpted in a, a you know perfectly sculpted individuals absolutely that, you know but she's great i love her and like you know again the casting was done really well for this so um um uh, but uh 
Speaking of Lee, like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is I actually I love the whole scene where they're at the uh, the the drive in and Christine is basically getting jealous of Lee and locks the doors on her and all the lights come on and she's like choking on her on her hamburger there and Arnie can't get in to, to save her like the way it just like just completely consumes her with with like this like creepy light inside <laughs> the creepy like internal um internal like blinding light is was like omnipresent in this and i love it i love that that lighting effect is actually really cool yeah yeah so that brings me to talk about um to move on to the characters themselves and talk more about actual scenes in the movie Overall, I, I really, really love the death scenes in this movie. I don't know how you feel about them, but I think that um, how each one of uh, Arnie's enemies, aside from Darnell, the Darnell one's pretty weak, but the way all of the uh, bullies get taken out, I don't know. Like I always get like a lot of satisfaction out of seeing how each one of them gets picked off one by one, especially the Moochie Wells scene where he just gets crushed into that little I mean, space I mean, that is the that's the best one obviously yeah that's the that's the most uh creative of the bunch um the only uh if i have any uh, regret in regards to that it the fact that it pulls away from it it implies what's happening to him when it, i guess could be cool but it would have also been cool to just see him straight up just get like like cut in half <laughs> yeah because you could have done a lot with his legs just getting fucking crushed and him get just getting obliterated yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure um uh, but, but there's that and then there's the whole scene where uh christine is like on fire and is chasing buddy repperton down the street i yeah. like that whole montage as well that's a good f- car on fire scene. <laughs> it's a great, great car on fire scene. That whole that whole scene where uh, the stunt the stunt driving in this is also fucking amazing. Where like you know up to that point you're like this is the discussion we were having when we were watching this was I bet it was really fun to like stunt drive in this until that point where the stunt driver has to drive in a car on fire that's <laughs> completely immolated and driving down the road. <laughs> yeah, that I that's not a good that I thought of, but that's not a, that's not a good that I put down, but I did, was thinking during because this had to have been a really the, the whole time I was watching, especially the stunt scenes, I was thinking of how hard did this would have been to shoot because the windows are always blacked out or it's at angles to where yep. You can't see anyone driving because the car is supposed to be driving itself. And so it had to have been a fucking nightmare to, to you had to have done stunts like 50 times to get like the right angle and make sure that you can't see the driver in every shot. And Carpenter did a good job of, of making sure that you could have been really lazy about it and you could have seen like a silhouette inside the car, but you really yeah. don't, you don't see much of that at all. The car it really is like, it, it feels like an entity uh, in and of itself. Yeah. Well, I, from what I gather, cause I don't know if I put this down in the trivia when we get to it, but I think they went through 28 Plymouth Furies. Oh my God. <laughs> this is, the that's not, of this. not shocking. <laughs> yeah. So they went through a lot of cars to get this stuff done. Um, so yeah, there's all that. I really like 
also kind of backtracking. I I like the whole shop class scene, the fight scene, and I think I like that because it just shows. I you know I haven't been in high school in a long time, and you haven't as well. So, but it did take. Whenever I do watch it, it does kind of take me back to at least the way school was where I, when I grew up, and like how you would have those kind of altercations at least in my school where there would be you know a bunch of bullies that would just like straight up like pull a knife on you in fucking class. And, you know, so that's when back when bullying, it was just bullying for bullies sake. Yeah. There wasn't all this, there wasn't all of this. uh, Right. Or just, uh, you know, if I, if I wanted to get like boomer about it and be like, you know, like, yeah, there wasn't no safe spaces. We just had, you know, if you've got a knife pulled on, you just had to deal with it. No safe spaces, and if you hit someone in the head in dodgeball, they were out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, moving along, another person that we failed to talk about within the cast who does a lot with a little is our man Harry Dean Stanton is in this. I'm sure you were stoked yeah, about that. HDS. Hello. Yeah. If anything, I, he does great in this too. I wish he. I wish he had more screen time as well. Yeah, he's not given a lot, but you know he's always great. He's always a, a a joy to see, and I love him as Junkins. And there's this interplay that he has with Arnie in the school parking lot, and the dialogue that's happening there. It's it's like the Darnell dialogue, where it's like some snappy one liners are going back and forth between the two of them. One of my favorite scenes of just actors chewing up scenery is when is is when HDS confronts. Keith Gordon's character in the in the school parking lot. That that's a great repartee, if you will. Yeah, it really is. I love that. Uh, um, let's see what else. I mean, honestly, like that's really a lot of it. You know, I actually kind of moved through the goods a lot faster than I expected there, uh, Pat. So you you can thank me you for trying gold, to keep this great star, buddy. <laughs> um, was there uh, any uh, oh, oh before we do move on at least for my part I do like the um, the scenes of the car regenerating and the uh, special effects that uh, that went into doing that there was some pretty cool innovative kind of reverse engineered special effects that went into creating that look of Christine regenerating back um, so that stuff's really cool as well Absolutely. That, that, the shit where like the metal is like just kind of being manipulated, like in and out and like popping back into place and shit. It's just like an expert kind of reversal of camera work. And it, it like, it's like a sleight of hand trick, but it looks fucking great. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, so yeah, those are a lot of my main goods that I can think of. Do you have any goods that you wanted to discuss that maybe we didn't hit before we move on? I agree with um, I agreed with the Keith Gordon performance. I uh, I agree with the with the manipulation of all the metal when she's regenerating and all that. I think that all oh, that's fucking awesome. Uh, some of my other goods are like. I don't know. They're strange goods. I just didn't know where else to put them. But Buddy bears a striking resemblance to the late, great professional wrestler, Kerry Von Erich, 
to the point of yeah, being like distracting. Like I was distracted. <laughs> You're right. I didn't even think about that, but you totally, you know, nailed that. Every time he's on screen, I was like, why does this dude just carry Von Eric? It's so fucking strange. <laughs> so I'll, when we post this on, uh, on Monday, I'll put a side by side in the, in the post. Um, it's uncanny. It's very strange. Um, so that, well, I was, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say apropos that you bring up the Von Erics cause they were a cursed family. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. The Von Erics died similarly to everybody in this movie, which is just like some, right. some freak fucking accident. Like the littlest brother, uh, drowned in a, in a puddle that was like not even ankle deep. Like he fell yeah. into it and just fucking drowned in it. They all died. In really weird, gnarly ways. Yes, a very uh, they're the most cursed wrestling family for sure. All because they were rightly cursed because their dad was a Nazi. Their dad's wrestling persona, yes, was a was a, <laughs> was a Nazi. That was their punishment. Yeah, back at um, a time where you could really gate you you could really garner <laughs> some heat by by being like this is a theme throughout wrestling: picking an axis of evil and and coming having having a wrestling lineage through that whether it's fake or or otherwise but yeah (laughs) that makes me wonder because you know a bit more about wrestling than i do um was there ever a heel that was a clans person (laughs) there uh no no but the closest thing to that would be like in some of these really um really like low key Southern wrestling promotions. Mm-hmm. They probably had black yeah. wrestlers show up and there was definitely probably white wrestlers that showed up with Confederate flags or with Confederate flag shit all, sure. you know, plastered all over them. And they were painted almost as the good guys. I could, that that's for sure something that happened. I'm, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I just, I, I mean, I just think it's funny that, you know, there was that time where there could just straight up be a Nazi heel, but where, <laughs> why would being a Klansman heel be any more of a stretch? You know what I mean? No, not at all. They have the iron sheet. They've got, I mean, there's all sorts of, they throughout history, they've, they've chosen again, access of evil <laughs> as yeah. like heel characters. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Maybe that just touches a little too close to actually the real heart of America's Klansmen. <laughs> it's true. They're all foreign yeah. disruptors, which right. seems yeah. like, yeah. Foreign interlopers. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so anyways, I guess just kind of like to recap with all the good, the main thing that I feel, the main takeaways that are good for, for me that I would like to express to people that are on the fence about this movie or don't like it or don't uh they can't get past some of the plot holes or some of the inconsistencies in the story is to me the reason why i really enjoy this movie is more there's a lot of great dialogue and there's some really great acting that pulls it off so to me this movie is more of a vehicle of like really fun cool dialogue that's done by really good unknown actors and actresses and so I guess if you could somehow strip away all the other bullshit of the movie, that's one thing to focus on that makes it kind of a gem for me. So that's all I'm trying to it's say. A high, it's a high as point. far as you know what I would say. It's a high point for sure overall. So, anyways, um, because other than like you know like the sun driving and some and the some of the uh, the special effects and things like that, 
there's really not a lot to talk about that like makes this like movie really outshine you know to people that you know are on the fence about it or whatever so anyways um that brings us to talking about uh the bad uh you know you're you are in the opposition party here so uh pat my friend why don't you kick it off uh, what are uh, some of your bads well uh, like we touched upon i mean but now we can talk about it more directly even with the utmost suspension of disbelief there's just not <laughs> enough time and attention paid towards backstory character development finer plot details um that could have served the overall pathos of the movie to greater effect, specifically in relation to Arnie. Like all in all, I found it to just be very frustrating because the number one thing I kept asking myself throughout the movie is, but why, but why is the car haunted? But why is his personality changing? But why is it able to, to kill individuals? But why is its purpose for, for is it revenge? Is what is it? What's it motivated by? And these are all things where I was like, you know, and I made a promise to you that I would read Christine before you ever chose this. And I will. I'll make good on my promise and read it this summer. And I will (laughs) probably actually walk away with a greater appreciation for the movie. It could have helped in appreciating the movie more, knowing all these answers, because I know all these answers are found in the book. I like I just know it. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating that, that, that this movie exists and it, the number one fucking thing someone's going to ask is, well, well, why is the car haunted? <laughs> and they don't, get, right. they don't even try to explain it. They don't just don't. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Right. And I don't disagree. So the funny thing is I, you know, I actually, you know, read, I finished reading this book cause I started reading it a long time ago and got halfway through it and for whatever reason got distracted. It had nothing to do with the content or the story or whatever. Put it down. And I actually just finished finally reading it recently um, before we even chose to, to – or I chose to speak about um, this on the podcast. I wanted to talk about this movie on the podcast no matter what. I think that um, me finishing the book was a catalyzing agent to me just being like, let's just talk about it. I – saw this movie long, long, long before many, many, many times before I ever read the book. So it's funny because as much as those are glaring plot holes and glaring issues with the the screen uh, play, it never bothered me. It never bothered me. I just always enjoyed just the, everything about the movie, the pacing, the dialogue, the, the story of Arnie basically being, this outcast that is able to f- somehow find strength uh, in something he loves uh, to become a different person. It's a transformational, you know, story in the movie. And I guess that's why it never bummed me out. I just like, you know, I think it's because I have this appreciation for the, you know, the nerd or the underdog becoming like basically a, the, uh, uh, becoming what he w- wants to see himself become and then taking revenge and taking ownership of his, of uh, his life. I guess that's why it just never bothered me to even think about it. Like to me, it's like, it was just inherent in the story that somehow, yes, 
Christine. So put it this way, and this makes more sense after you after you read the story. The whole scene in the beginning where like you know they try to basically make it out that Christine is evil from the get go, like Christine is an evil entity, like right on the assembly line. I never read it that way. I never, I read it as basically what happened was there was a series of unfortunate things that happened relating to Christine that wasn't necessarily because of the car and the car just became imbued more and more with this evil kind of essence through all the bad shit that happened until finally it found its owner, which was, uh, Rollin LeBay who, was a bad person. He was just a, a evil, mean, shitty person. And then bad things happened around him. So it just kind of like, it almost created this poltergeist sort of like entity within Christine through all the bad negative shit. And it was fed into by Roland LeBay essentially. And when Roland LeBay dies, then the poltergeist or the, the, the malevolent spirit within Christine dies with him. And then it just so happens that, you know, Christine finds a new lover, a new companion with with Arnie to kind of reinvigorate that malevolent spirit. And like the cycle restarts, essentially. That's how I always looked at it. So I made up my own mind as to what like it meant. (laughs) I think that it I think it's just harder to like, for instance, I think this formula was was just pulled off on both screen and in book to better effect in carry. It's almost it's very similar in terms of like, you know, the nerdy underdog sure. who gets her revenge on her tormentors. And I think it's easier yeah. to bestow supernatural powers upon an individual through explanation of like telekinetic abilities and then you don't have there's no more explanation that needs to be had with that right because humans are just so intricate and th- th- that that is the end of the explanation that's all the explanation needed but with inanimate objects it's like give me something because what the fuck am i what what am i supposed to believe that this is happening for and for what purpose um mm-hmm. i think there's just a lot more explanation needed when you're going to take that jump. So it's interesting that these are all Stephen King themes. He's obsessed. Him and Carpenter are obsessed with 1950s culture. They're obsessed with supernatural abilities and they're obsessed with um, specifically King inanimate objects. I mean, this, this is a theme throughout a lot of his literature, Christine maximum overdrive, which is the cocaine fueled fucking nightmare that he owned, that his <laughs> only directed movie ever. Uh, but from a Buick eight, like even in the movies that, or even in the books that he, he writes, uh, that aren't about specifically that like pet cemetery, the semi runs over the little boy or like the Pinto right. in Cujo or like the Mr. Mercedes trilogy where the serial killer uses a Mercedes to like, plow down a bunch of fucking people in a crowded space. Like he uses this theme repeatedly throughout his career. And I feel like this is just an example of where it just didn't hit for me. And there's other better examples of him using it to greater degree. Yeah. Well, and that maybe, kind maybe of that's on Carpenter too, though, that's on Carpenter to, to make that vision make sense. Sure. Well, I would say, 
so as much as this was a strange pick for Carpenter, I agree. I would say that more of the issues that you're that you know that people have that you have obviously they rely more on the screenwriter because the screenwriter basically was the one that was just like fuck that fuck all this backstory and fuck all this extra character development it's not going to work with a movie i'm just going to cut it all out it wasn't carpenter so yeah. but like carpenter obviously so carpenter didn't do the screenplay no it was a different guy i can't remember yeah. his name but he he basically he he took a scalpel all of that and he was just like it, it we don't need it it says he bill said, phillips Bill Phillips is who uh, who adapted this. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, and that brings me to it's a question, but also I guess in the bad in general, and you know, you talked about it more or less, you know, just a minute ago. Was at what point does an inanimate object cease to be interesting or plausible as being haunted? <laughs> you know, because the haunted house is just that's that's a mainstay within you know you know mythical uh within the mythical vernacular of humans um as being like that's something that's interesting and and plausible but what at what point does does something beyond a haunted house no longer cease to be interesting or cool to be haunted because a lot of people had issue with the fact that this was a haunted car and they think it's dumb well why like why is it a haunted car is dumb like is it is it because it's more or less a well so like my partner made the point that it's like it has to be a uh an a structure or an object that is inhabitable well a car is inhabitable people live in their cars people drive in their cars cars are integral to modern life certainly so i guess that's a that's a thing like when when you get to a point where it's like not cool to talk about this thing being haunted like obviously the haunted mailbox or the haunted toaster or the haunted TV, the haunted cell phone, you know, the haunted bong, like all this shit is lame as fuck. So, you know, I think I think from the to answer that unanswerable question, I think <laughs> like where does it where does it cease to be scary or cool once you leave a house? And I would say from the onset, unless you give me a reason to care, like I think we're not so much obsessed with the haunted houses themselves as we are the stories as to what made these houses haunted or what drove people to kill within these houses. Amityville being the most famous example. Amityville as the house is secondary to the story that, that happens inside of the house, which makes the house unlivable. So that's a hard thing to then leap into other inanimate objects when the haunted house horror trope has run its course and now we're trying to affix that kind of theme into other inanimate objects and it just doesn't make the leap because you're taking out the human element as to what made it interesting or haunted to begin with yeah well anyway so there you go (laughs) um I would say for if I have one little bad um, aside from this general kind of discussion as to what makes this movie not work for people. So there is the scene where um, Christine uh, and Arnie are in Darnell's after Christine's like been beaten to shit and Arnie's rebuilding her and uh, he steps in front of her and 
says, all right, show me or something. The lights come on and there's this kind of uh, subtle, like kind of like carpenter-esque kind of music that's starting to build up. And it's, 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 to me, it's a very cool moment until when the car like completely comes to life, it breaks into this like sexy detective Mickey Spillane music. And that just like takes me out of the moment. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. So I'm not into that. The, I'm not into the sexy detective music, the sexy this, sax. You can't have a sexy detective music without a sax. Yes, exactly. And that's what happens is it, it goes from like the cool kind of synthesizer music into. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then it's black and white, like a noir movie where <laughs> like the, the, the girl walks into the detective's office yeah. and yeah. But it's but a favor. Yeah, but instead it's Christine, uh, you know. So Christine is a sexy woman, obviously, in in this movie, aside from Lee Cabot. Um, What other bads do you have? I think uh, the rest are silly. I'm looking through to make sure. I want to take any serious ones off the top, but um, (laughs) I guess I have one. No, the, the rest are like... Silly-ish. Arnie is a bad beer pourer. Uh, when he visits Dennis in the hospital, uh, <laughs> that fucking idiot. It, that that mug is all head. Like he it's doesn't even, doesn't even <laughs> attempt to tilt the fucking glass at all. Uh, so that uh, that sucks. <laughs> Don't want to drink yeah. with that guy. That's one thing that he didn't learn how to do as he became the cool guy. He obviously he went from like being a dude that never drank a beer in his life to now all of a sudden he's a beer chugging badass, but he doesn't know how to pour a beer. Well, it's funny because he pours the beer into the mug as if it's for Dennis. And then he starts chugging out of the can. And it's like, thanks, asshole. I guess I'll just drink this heady foam, <laughs> this whole this fucking giant mug of heady foam. Thank you. Thanks for visiting me in the hospital. <laughs> right. Um, and, I was say, and you you know that that beer, whatever that off-brand fucking Southern, beer is. Southern Cross beer. I looked it up and it's a real fucking thing. I couldn't, really? believe, oh, couldn't believe my mind. Because they uh, are drinking Southern Cross in the car later when yeah. he's like, well, yeah. I, I'm good enough to drink in my car. If you don't good enough to drink in my car or whatever the fuck yeah. he says. Don't you like beer? I thought you like beer, man. Yeah. I don't like Southern cross. Not my, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite beer. Um, also this is kind of like, I just assume that was, yeah, go ahead. No, I uh, sorry. We're having like some connection issues. So that's why, but I would just assume that, it was just some made up fucking beer so they could, you know, they could avoid any sort of, you know, royalties or copyright issues. But that's funny that it's a real beer. Yeah, I thought it was like the Morley cigarettes in X-Files. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. I, or at least when I looked it up, it, it's I found several hits for Southern Cross beer. So maybe it's just um, a happenstance. I don't know. Amazing. All right. Continue, my friend. This is also kind of like the never been kissed of horror movies in the way that like <laughs> you just slide those glasses off of uh, Lily Sobieski and you finally you're like, fuck, there's a hot girl under these glasses. Like you take the <laughs> you take Arnie's glasses off and it's like, shit, suddenly suddenly he like knows how to be a functional human being who's not late for like 
his UN mock UN meeting at school or whatever the fuck. Like he's suddenly <laughs> cool and skipping study hall and shit. Like just had to take the glasses off, man. Take the glasses off, dork. That's all you had to do, and then and then don that sick leather vest. Right. Yeah. Glasses. Vis a vis vest. Yeah. He's a fucking. That's all you needed, bud. That's that's how every makeover is. You you tussle the hair and take off the glasses, and there's a hot chick under every pair of glasses, <laughs> <laughs> Man, male or female. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I had one more. Sorry. Okay. Go. No. Go ahead. Dennis has one of the worst plans of any movie we've covered so far. So his plan is that he's going to stay in the safety of the bulldozer while Lee has to run to the fucking office, which is padlocked. So they didn't ever, they didn't figure that one out. Uh, They didn't think that it would be locked. And then now Lee is in literally middle of mortal danger while Dennis gets to sit back in his, in the fucking bulldozer. Like, what was the plan there was awful. Also, closing the bay doors to trap Christine in as if Christine isn't a fucking car that can drive through a garage <laughs> door. Like, why would Christine be trapped necessarily? Yeah, it's a bad plan. Well, I will say at least <laughs> I'll give Dennis this much. I mean, Dennis's leg is fucked up, so he can't he's not very mobile. That's true. So, and I feel like, again, once again, this is another thing that's explained a little bit more in the book as as to why that whole scene, you know, doesn't make sense in certain ways. But yeah, Um, yeah, bad plan. Also, Uh, I actually have a lot of questions in regards to that. Well, not a lot, but a few. But uh, um, that being said, if you have anything anything else to add, then we'll just move on to the questions. Yeah. Many questions, I'm sure. I do have questions. Yeah. I'm sure you do. Uh, Well, I will say this. um, I will lead off with the questions just to kind of piggyback on that scene in particular. My whole thing with that is how the fuck did Dennis just know how to drive a backhoe or a fucking digger? I thought the exact same thing, right? I, I, I imagine that that shit is actually fairly complicated. There's like four or five levers up there. Like there's no yeah. fucking way a teenager would have figured that out. Yeah. So my stepdad uh, is, a, is a heavy machine operator and I grew up around those type of uh, vehicles. I've been inside plenty of them. I know what it takes to operate them. And yeah, it's not something you just hop into and like, okay, I know how to do this, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's no way yeah so um so that's a question i have um one other question i had as far as uh in regards to the moochie death scene is when moochie is being pursued and then he gets uh cornered by christine why would it be his um thought to confront christine with this tiny fucking switchblade as he's about to be pulverized (laughs) by a car (laughs) <laughs> well, so so everybody <laughs> that, that's funny because I didn't question it only because every single person, Buddy does this too. Every single person is like, like basically like get out of the fucking car and let me. I'll, I'm gonna fucking whoop your ass. <laughs> like so, right. like every person is confronting Christine with the uh, idea that Arnie's inside when he's actually not until the very end. That's the only time he's inside the car, I, I suppose. But. Yeah. yeah, I think every time it's like, all right, I'm going to take my knife. Yeah, but dude, 
it's your quarter. Like, why? He has no reason to get out, let alone the doors are now crushed against the fucking side. He can't get out if he wanted to. Yeah. They just assume that, that the individual that's pursuing them is going to quote unquote fight like a man and just get out and do, you know, fisticuffs there. File, <laughs> yeah. File that question under fight like a man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those are a couple I had. So what are, what are your uh, questions? Maybe I can help answer them since I've read the book. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think a majority of these might be uh, a majority of these might not be able to be answered by the book mainly because like a question like this uh when buddy and his like reject uh background character from the outsiders crony are cruising around to and they're listening to beast of burden like that's like the least bad guy fucking music of all time like that's it's totally takes me out of the fact that they're like bad guy characters like you could like okay it was it's like 1978 like you could have had like early van halen or like alice cooper or the ramones or cheap trick or like there's so many fucking songs you could have picked i agree Um, or or a better rolling stone song beast of burden does not strike fear in me i don't think of them as like bullies at that point Dude, they're just having a chill, laid-back time. That's all, man. You know, they're just knocking back some brewskis, and you know, even in their chill, even in their chill, laid-back times, I want them fucking slamming some some tunes, not beast of burden, <laughs> some atomic punk. Yeah. So in the book, um, Moochie, when he gets run down, he's speaking of weak ass music. He's coming from a Jackson Brown concert. Boy, oh boy. Damn. Well, maybe these these bullies just suck ass. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're not they're not real rockers. They're they're faux rocker bullies. I do but I do remember like there was some quote unquote bullies from high school that I remember being like shocked to find out they were like parrot heads or some shit. Like <laughs> And that I mean that actually tracks more than like yeah, it the actually does than cool, cool dudes. Yeah, cool, cool, but yeah, that's true. Bullies aren't like slamming like uh, Ramones's "Leave Home." Like they're they're listening to <laughs> fucking bullshit. You're right. <laughs> yeah, they're like they're into uh, fucking uh, Sublime. That's true. That's true. Yeah, they're they're beating people up to forty ounces to freedom. Yeah. <laughs> um. Do you think that Arnie ever had sex with his car? And this stems from, did he ever have sex with Christine? Because (laughs) there is an episode of My Strange Addiction, which is a really shitty TLC show, where Mm -hmm. this guy legit is in a sexual relationship with his car. And they show him having the most sensual kisses on the bumper of this fucking vehicle that is like unnerving. So joke question. Does Arnie have sex with Christine? You think at any point? Well, it's funny that you mentioned this because this is another item that I, I did leave out of the trivia, but is a part of the trivia is Keith Gordon did state that in order to get into the right mindset for his relationship with Christine in the movie, he imagined that he was caressing a woman. My Lanta. Well, <laughs> that, that my God. Which just begs mm-hmm. the question, do you put a rubber on before you put your dick in, like, the exhaust pipe of a fucking whatever the version of this car is? Yeah, I would, I would hope that there's some sort of 
layer of protection either on yourself or within the exhaust pipe itself because that'd be a real rough tug man (laughs) a rough fuck that's my least favorite porno rough tug five (laughs) the first first four rough tugs were were serviceable but rough tug five when she takes out the sandpaper and gives him a handy i just i can't get through that that's just it's just too much for me Doing a doing a movie marathon with uh, Gold Johnny Five, Rough Tug Five, <laughs> and Evil Bong Four Twenty. No, Gold Johnny Five is a George Thorogood song in our in our Nexus joke universe. Yeah, but then but then uh, Stephen King adapts it to a book, which then becomes adapted to be a movie. Oh, that's right. We for, I forgot my Nexus joke universe protocol, and, uh, and it's <laughs> it's a, and it's about a ha- haunted George Thorogood song. Of course. <laughs> what else would it be about? Um, <laughs> yeah. What is maybe this is a maybe this is something that's in the book, or maybe it's not. I don't know. What is the point of the periodically or of the movie periodically giving us a date stamp? I never understood why we needed to know what the date was, but they continually tell us what the date is in this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I just to maybe give you a sense of how quickly this is all transpiring. That's what I was thinking. But then I was also like, do I really need a date stamp to know like the passage of time? And why would that even be important? It was so strange. Yeah, I'm not sure other than, uh, you know, this this movie and the book tries to hinge itself upon being basically a holiday oriented uh, movie. So it's it's right around the 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 events, the events um, plateau or climax from basically from Thanksgiving on to Christmas into New Year's. So it's, oh. it's within that holiday frame holiday framework. I don't know. Well, it is unnecessary, though. Yes, but wholly, wholly unnecessary. And the main question is, why is Christine evil? What is her purpose? Why is she killing? Why does she kill Arnie if she cares if they're in some sort of simpatico relationship? Or is that an accident? I don't know. These are all questions I had. Yeah. Okay. so here we go with some maybe some questions to fill this in that were completely excised uh, from the screenplay. So, as I said, I had my kind of explanation as to what makes Christine evil in the movie. In the book, Christine is not evil. Christine is merely a car. The evil entity in the movie is Roland LeBay, the owner of the car. He is the one that is driving Christine and is possessing Arnie. Roland LeBay is slowly turning Arnie into him. They're fusing as one. This is all great shit that I could, we could have used in this movie. Right. Right. Yeah. Don't I, I again, someone who likes this movie don't understand why they felt it was necessary to completely remove Roland LeBay as a central character from the screenplay because he is Roland LeBay is the antagonist in the movie. It's not Arnie. Arnie is an innocent victim in the book. Arnie is just like a victim of Roland's 
obsessive cruelty that reaches beyond the grave. In fact, Roland LeBay is alive up until like the middle of the book. Um, Arnie and Dennis both go to Roland LeBay's funeral and they meet his brother, George LeBay, which is played by Robert Blossoms and is a completely different character. So Robert Blossoms playing George LeBay in the movie is actually playing how Roland LeBay is in the book. It's completely mixed up and switched around. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like any of that. George LeBay, um, Roland's brother, he's like a a high school teacher. He's not this crazy, scrawny, wild-eyed old man that just wears a fucking girdle. (laughs) He's, He's like an upstanding citizen that lives in a completely different state from Dennis and and Arnie. Um, And he actually himself becomes kind of a pivotal character to the exposition of the story um, as far as like learning about Roland LeBay and why Roland LeBay is in hot pursuit of all of these people and trying to possess Arnie. So yeah, Roland LeBay is there till the end of the, of the fucking book. I don't, (laughs) that, it makes me mad to, to hear about this because I <laughs> I had my assumptions that that something had to have been left out or purposely omitted from the book, but to kn- to know that all all of these things are addressed um, makes yeah. me ups- makes me upset because yeah, this, this movie takes liberties and makes something much worse than it should have been. Yeah, so all the regenerating that happens with Christine, that's all Roland LeBay. He is but through his evil magic as a, as a as a entity uh, from beyond the grave is repairing Christine. See, I see now I that's what I mean. Like I buy that. Like you gave it like this human <laughs> human quality, which is what I was saying with the house. Like it's not the haunted house, it's not the Amityville house. It's yeah. the people in in the house that have perpetrated all these fucking awful crimes it, it, it's all at the end of the day it's all human element and that's what this needed right so there you go that's why and yeah i don't understand why the screenwriter felt it necessary to completely take they they could have had roland LeBay in the beginning like the whole story about roland and in in the beginning of this movie and kept his character throughout. But I don't know. Maybe maybe they also they just didn't want to spend the money on all the special effects it would have taken to create a role in the Bay ghost character existing. I don't know, but that's that's why. So there you go. Well, I don't have any other questions. Well, I did want to also answer this for you because we were talking about the Darnell death. Yeah, oh yeah, as being like pretty lame. So in the in the book, Darnell is also a very important character. Darnell is, you know, he's he's Arnie's boss in the book as well. But Dar- Darnell actually, aside from being just like some slovenly DIY garage owner, he's he's basically he's not a mob guy, but he's connected to the mob, and he makes his money by illegally running cigarettes and drugs and weapons. He's basically like, he's a, he's a uh, contraband trafficker that has Arnie get things from across state lines and bring them back uh, to his garage to sell. Um, 
<laughs> so what happens is the w- reason why Darnell dies is because Arnie is sent by Darnell to go to New York because in the book, all this takes place in Pennsylvania. In the movie, it takes place in California. But all like the events take place in Pennsylvania. Darnell sends Arnie on a job across state lines to New York to get a bunch of illegal cigarettes and bring them back to Pennsylvania to sell. And um, Arnie is being watched by the cops because of all the death that's happening around him by Junkins and uh, state detectives. So he is being uh, he's being followed, essentially. He gets busted and then. It's basically it's a it's not only uh, the reason why they bust him is not only to figure out how he is tied into all the murders, but they also want to bring down Darnell because Darnell is like a crime boss, essentially. And Christine kills Darnell because he doesn't want him to rat on Arnie or she doesn't want him to rat on Arnie. Roland LeBay does not want Darnell to rat on Arnie if he gets busted by the cops. So. Roland LeBay drives Christine to Darnell's house and literally drives into Darnell's house and runs him over repeatedly. Yeah, that would have been much, much cooler. than like <laughs> the, the small, like seat adjustment accident that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's actually a very long, the exposition of the death in, in the book is very long and, and arduous and painful because Christine basically just like keeps running back and like revving up and running into Darnell's house and then driving basically up the steps of uh, up the stairs and on Darnell's house that he's running away from Christine up the stairs. He falls down the stairs because he has like a heart attack or something. And then Christine just runs him over and then drives off. I mean, it's not shocking that books are are unequivocally always better than anything put to screen. It's they're undefeated in that aspect because of because of right. things like this, things that just can't be interpreted. But they took more liberties than necessary in the, the adaptation of this. Yeah. So, anyways, so there you go. That that's all your questions. Yes. Okay, so we're moving on to uh, the next section uh, that we have here. And I'm actually going to take a break real quick. I'm going to get more coffee. Okie dokie. So TV time out, and then we'll be right back. Kiddo, you sold him that piece of shit. You ought to be fucking ashamed of yourself. I didn't sell it to him. Tried to talk him out of it. You should have tried harder. I knew a guy had a car like that once. Fucking bastard killed himself in it. Son of a bitch was so mean, you could have poured boiling water down his throat, he would have pissed ice cubes. Okay. 
That's the last time you run that mechanical asshole in here without an exhaust hose. I catch you doing it one time, and you're out. You understand? Huh? Yes. But I'm going to tell you something else right now. I don't take any shit from you kids. This place is for working stiffs. Got to keep their cars running so they can keep bread on the table. It's not for a rich-ass snot-nosed kids want to go dragging on the orange belt. I don't allow no smoking in here, neither. You want a butt, you go out in the junkyard. Oh, well, I don't smoke. Don't interrupt me, punk. Don't interrupt me. Don't get smart. Us, uh, sir? Why? Those men over there are smoking. Better tell them to stop. You're trying to help your buddy right out of here, Chuck. Nothing. Then shut your pie hole. I know a creep when I see one. I think I'm looking at one right now. You're on probation. You get it? You screw around with me one time, I don't care how much money you paid up in front, I'll throw you out in your ass. You got it? Huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good. So here we are moving into our awards and category portion of the pod and starting off at the top with quotes. And I think I told you earlier that most of my quotes are from one particular individual. But uh, why don't you give me some of your quotes? The one that tickled me the most was when Lee goes, God, I hate rock and roll. (laughs) That's a great fucking line. <laughs> yeah, that actually made me think of another question, though, that I wanted to, to bring up. Uh, why, at the end of the movie, when Christine gets, you know, smashed into the little cube that she becomes, why would Junkins, Lee, and Dennis just be hanging out in the the junkyard to to watch that all take place? Like all three of them together. Why would? Junkins be there. I don't. I don't. Well, know. the idea that Junkins is like you guys are heroes. Like, so he he's given up entirely on thinking that Arnie did it. Like, did any of these crimes or like he's is he a full believer in the fact that the card was doing this himself by <laughs> itself? Like, none of that made any sense. Junkins giving up the investigation because quote unquote these two teenagers are heroes for destroying the car once and for all. So is yeah. he may, uh, uh, become a true believer with no explanation as to why? I, yeah, none of that made sense either. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Also, uh, another difference between the book and the, and the movie, Junkins dies in the book. He gets killed by LeBay. I think if, I think if uh, HDS had more screen time, he would have had a reason to die, but he could, he could have died in the movie and no one would have cared because he was barely, barely in any scenes. He's just a blip. Yeah, the uh, I hate God, I hate rock and roll. That's a that's a funny way to end it. Um, that we, guy, yeah, go ahead. Well, as I say, that that guy that's walking the the uh, the garbage man, the the junkyard attendant, that was originally supposed to be played by George Thorogood. See, even these kinds of decisions that would have been fucking great if George Thorogood <laughs> came with a with a. With a fucking beatbox on his shoulder, playing <laughs> playing bad to the bone, uh, I would have fucking loved that because they play bad to the bone 
as the outro music as well. So you might as well, you could have segued straight into it from, from that. And that would have been a funny little way to wrap things up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of them that I had speaking of the, the repartee that you were talking about between Junkins and Arnie in the school parking lot is when Junkins says, the kid was cut in half, Arnie. They had to scrape his legs up with a shovel. And Arnie says, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do with shit? Scrape it up with a little shovel. Yeah. That, that <laughs> both of them going back and forth is fucking awesome. Also, Arnie oh, saying God. something to the effect of like, um, nothing like being behind the wheel of your own car, except for maybe pussy or whatever like that. <laughs> That's a fucking yeah, hilarious it, it, line. It, yeah, because he's echoing George LeBay that says, you know, he's talking about this car smell brand new. It's about the best smell you could ever, you know, smell, except made for pussy. See, and maybe that was something like that could have been a thread that was that was more intricately, uh, you know, kind of designed like. There could have been more LeBay is possessing and or influencing Arnie, but we don't get any of that. You just don't know any of that. Even when you said that George, like his brother, I forgot that he had said that line when the, I guess it harkens back to when he buys the car. I completely forgot. about. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of Darnell quotes that are great. Um, they're like quotes that actually stick in my head that I will use myself from time to time. Um, there's the one scene where he's basically, he's trying to, he's, he's warming up to Arnie a little bit more. Arnie's been there in the shop and he's like, you know, maybe I'll give you some jobs around the place, you know, you know, do some lube jobs, you know, place the, take, take the, the toilet paper, little spools off, whatever. And he basically like, Arnie's like, yeah, I guess I'll think about it. He's like, well, don't think you've got the gold key to the fucking crapper here, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does a lot of chewing up of scenery from the get-go. And then when when they first arrive to the the garage and he walks up to him and says, okay, that's the last time you run that mechanical asshole in here without an exhaust hose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just love that whole scene. And Dennis is, you know, he's like, that's another thing. I don't want you to get smoking in. You want to butt, go out in the go out in the yard. And Dennis says, excuse me, sir, aren't those gentlemen back there smoking? He says, you're trying to get your friend kicked right out of here, aren't you, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I love all the Darnell scenes. You got any other quotes? I have not. not it's not like my like quotes that I like, but the way they talk about women in this movie is like a fuck, like appalling, even for like, (laughs) (laughs) even for like a knowing I'm watching like a movie from the eighties. It was like watching porkies at times. I was like, like he talks something something about like, we got to get you laid now that you're a senior. And they're talking about that girl, the water fountain. And he's like, she's a sophomore. And he's like, so what? She's a walking sperm bank. (laughs) And then when when they introduced Lee, he says something like, "She's she looks really smart, and she's got the body of a slut." <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah. Is that in the book? Yeah. Is there a lot of like? Is there a lot of that in the book? A lot of the 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 teen dude, Misogy- uh, teenage misogyny. misogyny. <laughs> that I don't remember, but I'm I'm pretty sure it is because 
I don't know. That is, a, I mean, King doesn't do it a lot, but he likes to he likes to pepper in like some sex talk there. It's it's usually kind of weak where he's just like he likes to talk about making love a lot and stuff like that. But I don't know if he gets real like body and raunchy though. He can when he really wants to get his point across as to like the types of individuals some people are like in it. Uh, he definitely there's conversations that are had to to make you know who's like more evil of of the kids in this town. Yeah. 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 The whole like she's a walking sperm bank thing is really funny. I mean, whatever. I mean, I it's not it's not like that's something that I wouldn't have said. Still say <laughs> to this day, you know, oh, do I, yeah. Do teenage boys <laughs> talk like that? Yeah, absolutely. And for yeah, no for reason, sure. which is and also in the movie, it's just like pointless, pointless, uh, <laughs> a pointless exercise. What, yeah. What's up with Arnie uh, playing Scrabble with his mom and playing the word fellatio and then getting pissed that that she didn't count it? Like, <laughs> that, was a, that was a weird thing that, to throw in there. That's also weird. Oh, that reminds me of another scene, but also like a quote uh, that I also really liked a lot. I do like the whole interplay there at the family dinner table after Arnie has become, you know, like a badass and Christine's gotten the shit beat out of it her and you know he's all like slumped over and being you know sulking and his parents are saying well we'll buy you a new car and he's just you know basically like not having it and he just goes well fuck you i'm gonna go fix christine and then well there's also the part where his mom's like can't we just talk like rational adults and he he goes one of them shit on the dash of my car ma how's that for fucking rational (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that whole part because like Arnie's mom Arnie's mom in the book and in the movie they're both like kind of cunts mm. <laughs> mm. like especially more in the book obviously where she's just a very domineering mother that just belittles both Arnie and, and her husband yeah exactly and and that's another thing that's a king theme is the uh, the overbearing kind of evil witch mothers so yeah, like Bev in it, and and Chris, and Carrie's mom. Yeah, that's for sure. Is is his thing? Yeah. Uh, you got any other quotes? No. All right, that brings us to best scene and worst scene for me. I kind of already said this. Like the best scenes overall are essentially like the bullies getting mowed down the Moochie Wells scene and the Buddy Repertin scene. Those are my favorite parts. The Moochie Wells death is, is the, is the best death. The best scene is probably Junkins and Arnie, uh, meeting in the school parking lot for the first time. Yeah, that's a good one. And also, you know, for me, the, the Darnell meeting, the first Darnell meeting and that whole back and forth. Uh, what would be your worst scene? Uh, I had a hard time pinpointing exactly because there's not a scene that stands out as like objectively bad. I mean, I, I suppose the ending is just kind of nonsensical and rushed and jokey. Yeah. So yeah. that might be the, the worst. I would also add, and I, I, I've talked about this before uh, with other movies where 
the portrayal of sex or sexuality uh, can come off kind of clumsy. For me, it's like the teen makeout scenes because, you know, teens making out in general is clumsy and, and awkward. And so just seeing it on screen is also weird sometimes. It's not, you know, there's nothing, you know, erotic about it. <laughs> so I don't that's know. That's true. Yeah. So I guess that's it. Where, where they're making out in the car. Which the que- question I, <laughs> I keep having questions come up. Why was the stranger able to get inside? Like, Christine didn't lock the stranger out from being able to deliver the Heimlich maneuver. Like, why wasn't everybody locked out? I didn't understand why the stranger was able to get in. Like, they just locked Arnie's side of the car. Like, that that didn't make any sense. Christine can't lock all the fucking doors. That's another, uh, once again, another thing that is given much more exposition and and, uh, explanation in the book. Bum, bums me out. I gotta, I gotta read, read the, If I read this book, I'm gonna uh, outwardly fucking hate this movie. I because I'll, it'll, I'll have a reference point as to what could have been. Yeah, in the book, um, the person that saves Lee is actually a hitchhiker they pick up that's in the car with them. <laughs> that's fucking weird. Okay, I like that though. <laughs> so, anyways, um. Uh, so the next category is the Dahmer Hardly Newer Award for the most killer performance. Who did you have? Um, I think uh, I think Buddy is like a an all time bully in a movie. I think he's he's giving off real fucking like Columbine energy. <laughs> Guys, he's on a. I feel like he, if given the chance, he would fucking stab a teacher in the neck. Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned him because we kind of we might be flip flopped here. But for me, for this particular category, it's William Prosky as Darnell. But that brings me to the Michael Rooker Award for. Uh, did I get these? Oh yeah, it's the most evil fucker. I that's where I that's fuck. where I had Buddy Ten. I fucked up. So I have Buddy as the as the most evil fucker in the movie. The Dahmer I hardly know her award for most killer performance is Keith Gordon as Arnie. Okay, yeah, and I would have given that because Ar- Keith Gordon is definitely my favorite one in this. But I just I love William Prosky. He's Darnell so much. But yeah, so we're we're on the same page then about uh, Buddy Repperton, William Ostrander playing Bud- Buddy Repperton. I, fu- yeah, I fucked up. Yeah. The, the yeah. most, the person doing the most, uh, with his performance is Keith Gordon for me. And the person, the most evil fucker in this movie is gotta be buddy. He's that, that guy is, <laughs> he's got he's a real son of a bitch. He'll be doing 25 to life here soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because you know, there's this, there's this issue with movies from the eighties, especially that are very noticeable where the teen characters are always played by people that are clearly like in their thirties. And I feel like William Ostrander is a prime example of that. He's like a grown ass man playing a 17 year old. Apparently (laughs) I had to actually delete this from my bad. It's so funny that you said that because in my bad, I was like, well, they have a bunch of 40 year olds playing teenagers. Then I went and actually out of curiosity, looked up every single actor in this movie and even buddy who seems like you said is was only like 23 when this movie was made. And like, yeah, Specifically, Dennis right. is like 
20 and Keith is 20 and, and Lee is, is like 21. Like they're all in their early twenties, even, but I had to delete it for my bad. Cause I was like, okay, they just look crazy fucking old, but yeah, I guess early twenties isn't terrible for a casting job. Yeah. Even Harry Dean Stanton's like what, like 23 in this <laughs> 23 for life. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. Uh, William Ostrander just definitely looks the most mature of, of the bunch. Definitely looks like he's like way older than he is. And he way sta- older he's, than he character. stands out awkwardly. Yeah. Having watched every season of Degrassi, I know what it's like to watch a, a show about high schoolers where they cast actual high schoolers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so next category is the recasting couch. There's actually a number of like pretty, again, I kind of talked about how there, there was the executive decision that was made to essentially keep the cast of this movie to be fairly unknown up and comers. But, um, there was a lot of, uh, what were better known a lister type rising star, younger actors and actresses that were in the running for this. Um, for Arnie alone, there was Kevin Bacon and Scott Bayo. Love Kevin Bacon. I, I Scott Bayo doesn't make a lot of sense, but Kevin Bacon would have been. Cool. Maybe, maybe Kevin Bacon might have been for Dennis. Um, that would make more sense, right? I would have loved that too. I I can't see Scott Bayo as Arnie, but I could see both of those individuals as as Dennis. Yeah, so they were both in the running. Brooke Shields was slated to play Lee. That makes sense if that would have happened. Young ass Brooke Shields. She, this is like eighty three, so she did like Blue Lagoon. Like what the fuck? Like Blue Lagoon. She had a few Brooke Shields. She had yeah. She had a, she definitely had a, a quite a few movies under her belt by that time. I would say. Damn. Yeah, that would have been that would have been tight. Uh, this one's pretty amazing and would have been pretty wild, but uh, Nicholas Cage was slated to play Buddy Repperton. That's uh, <laughs> see, yeah, because Travolta in Carrie does a, a bang up job. I feel like Nick Cage would have rivaled what Travolta was able to do in Carrie with like very minimal acting experience up to that point. Yeah. Um, also, your friend John Cusack. I think he was supposed to play uh, Arnie. Your favorite, John Cusack. Yeah, what a fuckface that th- th- that would have made this like that. That would have made this just like a weird eighties teen romp. All like all of a sudden, you have to do the you have to do the no name casting as soon as Cusack's in this. This movie has a totally different vibe. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, those are the main ones. Did you see any at all while you were doing your research that might have been added to this no, list? No, I, I didn't necessarily research anything, so these were all surprises to me. Okay. Uh, the body count. As far as I know, because I just thought of it in my head, because there's not a whole lot of deaths. I think there's six. Seven. There's seven. Okay, so I'm trying to think who I might have missed. The in In order, the auto worker at the very beginning... Oh, that's who I missed. Okay, there you go. (laughs) We don't have to even run down the rest. That's seven. And then there's off-screen deaths because of LeBay and LeBay's daughter. Um, Oh, okay. But they don't count. Seven on-screen deaths. So you want me to uh, give you some more book spoilers? Yeah, sure. 
So in the book, Arnie's mom, dad, and Arnie all die. Uh, I mean, obviously Arnie dies in the in the movie too, but uh, Arnie and his mom die together, uh, yeah. presumably by being run off the road by Roland LeBay. Interesting. I thought it would be a scra- a Scrabble accident, like Arnie chokes on a fucking Scrabble <laughs> piece. <laughs> yeah, uh, they all die. There, the at the end of the book, there's a, a three casket funeral for the entire family. My favorite kind of funeral. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like a you know, it's like a whatever a, a, a five bean casserole, but it's a three <laughs> three casket. Funeral. I, in fact, don't show up to funerals unless it is at minimum three caskets. So that's <laughs> that's my only prerequisite and, for even coming. Yeah, and they better like they better cater with some like, you know, some five bean chili or something, you know. Oh, yeah. And I want to hear seven layer dip. Ooh, I love a good seven layer dip at a three fu- three coffin funeral. <laughs> We're adding to the George Thorogood discography, so he's got what? What, what was it fucking called? Gold Johnny Five. <laughs> so Gold Johnny Five. My, my favorite, uh, my favorite low key George Thorogood songs that nobody knows are Gold Johnny Five <laughs> and <laughs> Seven Layer Dip at a Three Casket Funeral. <laughs> TV time out here. <laughs> George Thurgood just chomping on some seven layer dip at a three casket funeral. <laughs> really, paints a, really paints a picture. All right. So here we go. Little, little nuggets for you to, to chomp on while you're chomping on your seven layer dip. And, uh, the film went into production before the book was published. Stephen King was so hot that he, you know, immediately they, they knew about the book and they're like, let's make this into a movie. So, so the, the book and the movie actually came out the exact same year. I did some research as to the difference in time and I was shocked. Does, does Stephen King not have like any say in what, if his books get to be turned into movies or not? Like if he was so I'd hot. I'd probably say I would say probably not to a certain extent. I, I would say like, yeah, like he, he would sell the rights to the stories to his publishing company and they would just be what, you know, they would willy nilly just <laughs> whore it around town. <laughs> he notoriously hates uh, a lot of the, his adaptations. Uh, let's quickly uh, off the cuff. What are your three favorite Stephen King film adaptations? Well, it'd be this one, obviously, because I like this movie so much. Uh, the Shining and Carrie, probably those three. I would say The Shining. Yeah, that's got to be at the top. I would say Salem's Lot. I would throw Salem's Lot oh, in there. Yeah, Salem's Lot is really good, too. Toby Hooper does a fucking phenomenal job. And yeah. I know the much maligned by you, 
Dr. Sleep. I would throw Dr. Sleep in there. It is fucking yeah. phenomenal. So, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, th- that is where you and I definitely differ. I'm not a fan of that, but we'll have um, to do the Dr. Sleep episode as a as a uh, a partner episode for this uh, for the Christine episode. Bring it on, baby! I would love to talk about that. It's movie, not really so. a midnight movie, and it's too new right. and. We probably wouldn't do it, but hey, whatever. I got to talk about the, the hat lady, dude. I got to get that off my chest on the you mic. Hate, you hate her so much. Yes. <laughs> the fucking hat, dude. Um, okay. Uh, some of Arnie's neighborhood scenes were shot in the same location as Halloween because they were both. Sh- Even though both of these stories take place in the Midwest or the Rust Belt, <laughs> the movies were shot in California. Yeah, you can visit the Halloween house in, it's like, I don't even know, Pasadena, California, which is a bummer. Yeah. Um, Here we are uh, entering the uh, click and clack portion of the podcast, the car talk, because it had to get there eventually. Um, Christine is a 1958 Plymouth Fury. It was a kind of a limited run model. So it's funny that they fucking chewed through so many of them because they're a collector's item. To make this this uh, right, movie. I didn't even think about that. They just were fucking destroying anti cars. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which kind of like actually, it, um, it hurts my heart to think about. But you know, whatever. I guess. Well, we need to do a remake of this movie where it's a fucking Tesla and just destroy every goddamn Tesla on the fucking planet trying to make the movie. <laughs> yeah right just out of spite um this is pretty fun the origin of the of the name for the story comes from uh george romero's wife christine romero that stephen king named the book after her yeah after that, christine romero i love that that's a cool little tidbit yeah yeah um we already kind of talked about this, uh, but there are a lot of similarities to Carrie. We've we kind of you know went into that a, a bit. Um, the hydraulic pump effects. Uh, uh, hi- there are hydraulic pumps, I should say, that are used to show the car regenerating. And basically, the way they gave it that effect is they they showed it in reverse. So the hydraulic pumps would actually suck in the body of the car and then they just reverse the shot on screen. You could like, I'm not sure if this is to the untrained eye, not the expert eye of myself, but I could tell it was a shot reverse shot kind of effect. And I fucking still thought it was awesome. It it didn't strike me as like, it, it was, it was very well done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to throw in here? I I could add some more, but those were the main ones I had. No, typically, um, when it's not my movie, I try not to do research because I love being tickled by these little tidbits. Tickle mm-hmm. me with your tidbits. <laughs> Tickle you with your tid. I love to do that. That's great. Um, I will add this. Uh, so, yeah. The this movie was originally going to be rated uh, a PG. It was going to get a PG rating, and they didn't want that scarlet letter, so they intentionally added the word "fuck" to the script so it would get an R rating because PG thirteen didn't exist at the time. One fuck uh, propelled it. One fuck. That's all it took. 
That's what that that's what sends it over the edge from being a PG to an R rating in the early eighties. Just one little fuck. Damn, but you could say fellatio and she's a cum dumpster slut and <laughs> so much other shit in this. That's that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, I know it. the ratings board is is a fucking flop house of fucking sycophantic dickheads, so I, that doesn't shock me. Yes. I will add one other little bit of car trivia here. Buddy Rupperton's car, which is a fucking sick-ass car, too, is a 1967 Chevy Camaro. It's actually one of my favorite cars. I really love that model. That's cool. That, it, I, it struck me as being, like, almost cooler than Christine. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, if I if I had my choice between a car that I would buy, it would be the 67 Camaro. I like 50s era cars. I like the design of them, but they've been rockabillied to death. So, mm, you know, yeah. what haven't they <laughs> stolen from us? <laughs> rockabilly culture. So, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I feel like a lot of the other trivia was just mostly related to um, kind of filling in the gaps that the book provides with the story so we talked about that pretty extensively so i think we're gonna leave it at that because we're running pretty long on this episode much to the chagrin of you and our handful of listeners i'm sure (laughs) i've had a a great time coming up with all these fake george thoroughgood songs (laughs) that was that's that's been the highlight so we're gonna rate this movie and then we're gonna we're gonna send it off into space so Ah, for our iconography, I just I just picked out of five evil Plymouth Furies. Do you have anything else? I it seems like the most obvious, and I and you know, for the lack of a better option, I feel like that's the one way to go. Or maybe out of five seven layer dips, or <laughs> Good five. out of five George Thorogood songs or albums. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Out of five George Thorogood songs, how would you rate this, Pat? Again, I didn't. I I don't objectively hate it, and I but I also don't objectively love it. It's something that I probably have already forgotten, having seen it recently, even, and I may not revisit it anytime soon, more than likely. So. It's right in the middle. I'd give it a three out of five. So, you know, we are uh, in opposition, obviously, a little bit. And I love this movie to death, probably more so than it deserves. So this is a on a curve, on my own personal curve. I give it four and a half out of five because this is Damn, uh, a, it's up there. A, a movie that is near and dear to my heart. Um. I bet it bums you out even more like in hindsight thinking about how that I picked this movie as my favorite haunted house movie too. <laughs> when we talked about oh my God, haunted yeah. houses. We got to retroactively <laughs> go back like, to that episode. <laughs> I, I must delete it. I, <laughs> I need to have like a back to the future. Like I got to go back and interrupt that recording of that podcast so I can just junk, junk on you from the future. You just got to break in like Kanye West and like be like, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> I know that Amityville Horror got this award, but <laughs> but Christine had the greatest haunted house movie of 1983. <laughs> uh, uh, so on the midnight clock, what would you give this? I mean, this was going to be a PG yeah, rated you know, movie, it, so it's, it's uh, I would say before midnight, like 11, maybe. Yeah. That's what I gave it. Ten to eleven, basically. This is this is one you can watch with the whole family when, you know, especially you know all the 
the raucous uh, locker room talk about cum dumpsters and uh, sexy smart sluts and fellatio with your mom at the Scrabble table. (laughs) All that. Um, Okay, so I'm very excited because now is the big reveal of what we're going to be watching next week. What what movie are you going to pick that I'm going to abjectly be uh, disinterested or hate? I've not seen. I've not. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Um, we, in an effort to diversify the movies that we've watched, we we off the mic discussion before the season started that we wanted to uh, have movies from certain categories and a certain number yeah. of them. Um, and so, for my kung fu movie, I'm Ooh. choosing uh, Police Story, 1985's Police Story, Jackie Chan. Uh, nice. film and it's one of my favorite Jackie Chan movies um, in my top three for sure and an unbelievable uh, choreographed effort it's unbelievable and it's fucking awesome and I haven't seen it in a while that's actually amazing that you decided upon that one because Police Story is one of those movies that as much as I do love the Kung Fu genre, it's one of those that I've been meaning to watch forever and I haven't seen it. So this is going to be super fun. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. I got that so, police story, police story two criterion, uh, release. I, my wife bought it for me. Aaron got it for me. Like when it came out. Um, and I watched a watched them back to back, having seen them both a bunch and, uh, made a point to have one of them on here. So that's, I'm glad we're doing it. That's sick. I'm really stoked for that. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music this week is provided by John Carpenter's band, The Coupe de Villes. Thank you so much, John Carpenter, for providing this for our podcast. Uh, you Thank are you, a true mensch. <laughs> if you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shout us, uh, shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That's F L I X. Or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For co host Patrick Mitchell, I am Adam Walker. And see you next time. That's my kung fu sounds. My karate oh, chopping. Kung fu chopping. <laughs> Banana, <laughs> 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 there it is. <laughs> 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 <laughs>